Hi, everyone, and welcome back to part two with Dr. Andrew Locke. We're going to continue our discussion about injury and weight training. All content on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. None of the content provided is intended to diagnose, treat or relieve any medical health conditions and is not intended as a substitute for advice provided by your physician. You should always consult a healthcare professional before adopting any diet and lifestyle changes. Hi, I'm Donna Aston, and welcome to my Body Masterclass. As a nutritionist for the last 30-odd years, I've had the opportunity to work with some extraordinary health professionals, clients, and colleagues. During this podcast series, I'm going to share with you their experience, as well as mine, help you to sort fact from fiction, and hopefully inspire you to live your best life. My Body Masterclass is like the instruction manual that you didn't receive for your body until now. Dr. Andrew Locke is an international physiotherapist, education provider, and world-class strength rehab professional. Andrew works and presents across the globe and has advised and consulted with a diverse range of patients, ranging from royalty and celebrities to elite-level athletes. He has also worked with law enforcement and emergency services, including the Australian Defence Force. In addition to this, he is the rehabilitation consultant to many of the world's strongest athletes and their coaches. I can tell you that I've experienced this firsthand with Andrew. He's kept my body in check for over 30 years. Let's see what he can help you with today. Do you think most people's issues are coming from, I mean, what, what do you see most regularly? Obviously, there's postural. You talked about as sitting all yeah. the time. We're either in a car, at a desk and being sedentary. But then I suppose we have some poor movement patterns or poor training patterns or repetitive things that we're doing that cause issues. What do you sort of see the most commonly? The biggest one's got to be if you want to look at the most likely predictor of mortality over five years – Lay a person on the ground and get them to stand up. Now, if you can get a, can't get a person can't get off the ground without help, they've got a reasonably large mortality rate in the next five years. Mm. So the fundamental movement of can you get off the ground without needing help is imperative. Well, there are exercises you can do that mimic that movement. Now, that's a great one to start with, the ability to stand up and get up off the ground. Find out where your weaknesses are. Now you've got to make those things strong. Reaching up overhead, nearly universally, I'm going to say, most older people cannot put a star on the top of the Christmas tree. Now, do you want to be the grandparent who can't put a star on the top of the Christmas tree for the kids? Probably not. You want to be the one who can. Maybe you even want to lift up the little grandkid and stick them up there so they can put the star on top. Well, you should be able to do that. And that's only going to come through doing resistance training. It won't come from Pilates. It won't come from going swimming. It won't come from running and it won't come from bike riding. You're actually going to have to practice putting loads up in different positions. And then your bones will appreciate that and you'll be able to avoid the osteoporosis and osteopenia. Suddenly you're going to be able to be the one who can fall over and not fracture their hip. But how many people tend to accept these things as just getting older, whether it be... (laughs) Poor bone density. Sure, I can say mine's genetic. My mum had osteoporosis. My older sister has osteoporosis. And so I could say, so I do. So I just, the 
medical route of that is just to take some drugs and um, maybe keep your vitamin D up and eat some cheese, you know, and that, that will, that's kind of the treatment. No, I'm, I'm determined to get, like I'm on the, I'm on the verge of osteoporosis mm. and I'm determined to get it back. And I've already over the last 12 months regained about 20%. And mm. so I'm, I'm going to keep going. You are, and you're going to look mm. at your test results and suddenly see that it didn't take the drugs to do it. Mm. It took human movement that we're supposed to have. It's uh, the tough thing. There is, there are people who are prepared to exercise, do exercise, and there are people who are not prepared to do exercise. I can't help you if you're not going to do it. Basic thing is, we can show you what you need to do to avoid these things, but there's only two motivators in life, and one's pain and the other's pleasure. Yeah. If you're in pain, you'll probably do what it takes to get rid of it. And if what you do gives you pleasure, you will probably do that. Now, if weight training doesn't give you pleasure and you're not really feeling pain, then it's a hard task to be able to gravitate to because it's not giving you that dopamine hit that maybe I get when I go into the gym. Mm. So there is a tough part to it where you actually have to suddenly take a bit more control and say whether I enjoy it or not. It's a requirement for a longer, better life. It's tough. Motivation is the thing. Don't wait for motivation. Mm. I think that's one of the most important things. Don't wait for motivation. Just tie your shoes up and go. It's like, you know, I always say to people, you don't love brushing your teeth every day, right? Mm. You don't really necessarily get excited about having a shower or brushing your teeth, but you do it without question because it's just part of your hygiene and that's what you do but Mm. we always give ourselves a choice as to whether we move or eat the right things or anything else so we have the discipline there it's a matter of priorities and how you apply it i like that you're reframing beautifully for a person to suddenly say okay i can look at it i can reframe my exercise requirement the same way i do brushing my teeth or taking a shower yeah. yeah, great. It's a good way to reframe it. And if you can get leverage on a person to see that, well, you've certainly helped somebody. I always think with weight training, and, and I'm reminded of this, I was reminded of this just on the weekend, actually, because I took a friend to a gym to who who doesn't, who's just started training and she doesn't really love the gym and she doesn't really understand strength training, or so I found out. So I took her through a, a workout and what she was doing was, using machines Mm. because that's, you know, you pull this handle 10 times and then you move to the next machine. And and so that's mind-numbing. You know, that that is actually mind-numbing stuff. And she had no connection between her mind and the muscle that she was working. She didn't know which muscle she was working. She couldn't feel it because she had no instruction. So she Mm. was just walking around the gym mindlessly doing 10 of this, 10 of that, 10 of that, I've used all those machines and now I go home. So I would find that mind-numbingly boring. I Mm. think a lot of people don't understand strength training and the connection that you can have to really work each muscle and to understand what you're doing and the focus that it requires to actually do it properly. There's a lot to it. And imagine if you have to give yourself one hour in the gym. Well, at least half, half of that one hour is preparing yourself to be allowed to work for the last half hour very well. Because you just don't walk in and start to lift the weights. You have to prepare yourself. As we say, the mobility work, the activation work, all the things are super important that you have to do before you actually start the real workout. So it is a bit of a journey and it's a commitment that you know you've got to do the movement work first before you actually put a load on top of it. 
But it's good to um, say, as you say, connect it to something that you want. For us, it's probably a lot easier. For me, it's easy. I look in the mirror and go, okay, I need my shoulders to be bigger. Mm. So I'm looking forward to feeling what that is looks that like. Is that possible? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's certainly possible. It has to be done. <laughs> yeah, those are the things that come. They'll look at the waist and go, oh, dude, you're too fat. Get, get rid of that. <laughs> Tell me, what's the one thing that your your program or your work has done for a client that you didn't expect? The funny thing is, here's another gift. Any professional who lifts, listens to this must know this. When I was working on a master's degree at one of the hospitals, I went to a new hospital and started on the Monday, went through to the Friday, came back the following Monday. And at the start of the week, the um, head of the department pulled me into the office and said, stop fixing people. You're not learning anything. Your point of being here is you're actually doing a project. You're supposed to be learning something, but all you've just done is you've spent a week doing what you know works and you've learned nothing. So from here on in, you are not allowed to do anything you know works. You have to find everything you don't believe in. Now, the gift of that is every day ever since then, I've always questioned everything I possibly do. So the development of the thing I don't expect is almost on a daily level where I will do something. I'm sure it was only last week. I said to somebody, I just did something I've never done before because I didn't expect it to work. Now, whether it works or not, I still have to test it. So the biggest thing ever, which probably if I look at it, was when I decided that if I was going to do a particular glute exercise, which was the famous lock clam that I invented a century Love ago. Love a lock clam. Too good. I decided what would happen to a person's low back extension movement if they did the lock clam? There's supposed to be no connection. So I got a person to bend backwards once, then did the lock clam 25 times on each side, retested the lumbar extension and it was phenomenally better okay no one in the world ever done that before and there was no reason that it was supposed to change until i realized it did change that means there's a reason it changed and the reason it changed has three parts to it but the fun part is i observed that change from something that wasn't supposed to happen no one had thought that it should so i sent a letter off to a eminent professor who's a good friend of mine and i said i think this is the explanation he sent me back three research papers and said, here's a possible alternative. That's his kind way of saying, no, you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very kind man. And so from there, I was able to understand the mechanism behind what had occurred. Now, after that, I then introduced the idea of single leg balance. Does that change lumbar spine movement? If you shut your eyes and stand on one leg for 30 seconds and do that twice and do that on each side, yes, you actually move better. Okay, I started to understand why that one worked, though, because I knew what I was doing. So I'm always investigating at every point something. So it's almost as if when something unexpected happens, I'm waiting for the unexpected to happen because I'm looking for the unexpected now. Hmm. And that's been the framework of why I can explain why each of the components of the passive system, the active system, and the neurological system, just three things, how they can interplay together. And that's so good. If you've actually lost your anterior cruciate ligament on the weekend playing basketball or netball, it doesn't necessarily need surgery. You can use your muscular system, your hamstrings, your mus muscles in the area, to actually stabilise the joint and you might not need um, to replace it. Now, you've just demonstrated that the anterior cruciate is a passive structure. And now you're using your active muscular system in a learned motor control, which is a nerv nervous system.
you put your P and the A and the N together again. Yeah. No, no mysteries. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And and I think, you know, this stuff only comes through experience. I You have a great foundation of knowledge, of structure, and if something surprises you or something puzzles you, you can usually use that foundation of knowledge to work on a solution. I do the same with nutrition oh, yeah. and and everything that I do as well. So it it really, you have to have that background in, in everything and that foundation of knowledge that's really strong to be able to decipher a lot of those situations. Was there a leverage point for you as well where something in a nutritional sense maybe changed some blood work on somebody, did something that you looked at and thought, oh, I didn't realise that was as powerful? Yeah, I, I mean, I started doing my Aston RX program because so many people, so many motivated, intelligent people were failing at the same thing, which was being able to stick to a program, being able to stick to a way of eating and, and a lifestyle mm-hmm. and and blaming it on lack of willpower, which is not possible because they had so much willpower in every other area of their life. So I started looking at how their biology was driving their behaviour, one of the main things being insulin resistance. So that's sort of where I started and I started researching that and then trying it out on clients that I already had and all of a sudden they started changing behaviour. So that's where I sort of that's where Astonarix started, and so, so really? yeah, so it's it's a similar similar route that you've taken so with the physical insulin, insulin resistance changes their brain chemistry. It yeah, so insulin resistance makes you hungry, right? So yep. you're always hungry. So and it makes it's drawing too much glucose out of your blood, so your brain panics because your blood glucose drops too low and triggers instant hunger that's quite urgent. So drives you to overeat. And it's this constant cycle that people are going through. Then you overeat, then you push it higher, and it just keeps going around in a circle. Once you break that pattern, it's amazing <laughs> that people's behaviour just changes. All of a sudden, you know, a woman who's been well over 100 kilos all her adult life forgets to eat for a whole day mm. because now she realises that she doesn't. it's not urgent anymore. It's astounding, isn't it? Mm. How wonderful. So there's the behavioural change that comes from really a blood chemistry situation. Mm. So there they were thinking they didn't have the willpower, but they really... And it's really empowering, you know, mm. when you show someone that, that they can change, that it's not some sort of internal fault or, or personality problem that they have. They think that they have some weakness mm. when in fact they realise that it's their biology that's driving it. And it's similar to me discovering that I, I can train, mm. you know, and then when I started training after seeing you and doing my rehab and feeling better and forcing myself to go to the gym and train, I forgot I actually love it. Well, you always did. I love it. Yeah. And I for- I actually forgot that. <laughs> in In the process of all of it, I had started to accept that I was just getting older, my body was worn out and tired, and now I have to deal with this. Oh, how wrong is that? So wrong. So spectacularly so wrong. wrong. I want everyone to know that that is so, so, so wrong. In the last year or so, what is one belief, behaviour or habit that um, has most improved your life? Mm. It's probably comes down to the, the – you can. When you want to go to wisdom, you can always go as back as far as you can. You can go back into the, obviously the the original biblical texts. Well, go a long way back, and there's a famous Jewish saying which basically says, "If not now, when?" Mm. And that's really it. In other words, 
get going. Yeah. Yeah, it's not tomorrow. If not now, when? Now, that's probably been the biggest part of my development where I am now because it's been a year where I've been in pretty much most continents and places in the world, from England to Europe to Asia to the US, and being busy and on the road nonstop and having to use every minute possible and being able to service people's needs. Yeah, it's when am I going to get this done? It's called now. Procrastinating, I think, um, disables so many people from achieving things and then by the time they sort of get around to it, it's almost too late, you know, that it really is, you know, this isn't a rehearsal, this is life and I'm always a big believer in just, I, I always dive in head first and do things. Good, yeah. And I think it's a really important thing to do. And if it, I, I make a point of doing something that scares the crap out of me on a regular basis, <laughs> just because it pushes me and makes me like learn fairies, fairies something. Lost. Yeah, well, that that actually would scare the crap out of me. You're right. <laughs> just I saw someone, uh, someone in a, in a, somewhere this morning. I thought, God, that's frightening stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is frightening. So stuff. you like you like the challenge that makes you um, suddenly have to rise to it. The the thing that yeah. challenges you. I usually, you know, bite off more than I can chew, and then chew like hell. It's always been my philosophy with most things. Isn't that good? Yeah, look, it's how you learn, you know, and and yeah, sure, you stuff things up, and some things don't work, but. You know, you gave it a go. They always say we only regret the things we don't do, right? Absolutely, yeah. Isn't that so true? It's a yeah. great way to look at it, and that should be people's approach to the gym. Uh, you'll regret it if you don't do it. Absolutely. Yeah, you, know, you could have moved better. And there's, you know, there's been studies, as I'm sure you know, where they've taken people who have been bedridden, elderly people, may have been in a nursing home bedridden for years, mm. and they get them doing weight training, and all of a sudden they're up walking. So their only problem was that their muscles had deteriorated to a point where they could no longer stand or be stable when they stood, right? Yep. And once a human being stands up, that's what it's supposed to do anyway. Mm. So that's an important thing, yeah. standing, balance, walking. Now, Hippocrates, who is, of course, the father of modern medicine, we can go 400 BC with Hippocrates, he said, walking is the greatest medicine. I mean, that's an important aspect. There's someone who we can look at two and a half thousand years ago almost, who recognised quite clearly that walking was an imperative for a human body. So if you're not walking, uh, you're in trouble. You better move. You have to be able to get up and you have to do. For the programs I do for lower back issues, you have an unnegotiable 15-minute walk twice a day. Mm, it's, yeah. not, it's not negotiated on. That's the basis of Everything you give us to do is non-negotiable. I wouldn't <laughs> dare come back to you if I hadn't done everything that you told me to. And, you know, at the moment I'm lifting a tonne a day, which I'm really enjoying. A ton and I, lo I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I thought it sounded a little impossible when you said it, but it's not. No, it's glorious, isn't mm. it? That's all, you're, you're out there doing hard work, I manual labour. I am. I'm and, loving every minute of it. Yeah. As are my bones. <laughs> Certainly are, and that 16 kilos is going to start to feel a little bit too easy soon. It will. It will. I progress from 12, I'm at 16, yeah. and I have my 20 and 24 sitting there just waiting and any minute now. Christmas is going to have a bow on another big kettlebell. <laughs> any minute now. Um, what has been your biggest turning point in your career? You mentioned your thumbs and your mm. injury. Would it be back to that? Or? Oh, you could even go to the very start of the day I graduated the day I graduated, I was very fortunate in that I was taken into the best sports medicine clinic in the country, said to be the best shoulder clinic in the world at that point for research. And they took me on because I, was, I had played baseball for Australia as a junior and they were playing with, dealing with athletes. 
Okay, so I get to graduate and I get picked up to go work at now the sports medicine centre. The day I walk in, the boss takes me into her office without sitting down, turns to me, shuts the door and just says, your job here is to become the best in the world at something. And she looked at me and said, and I'm the best in the world at shoulders, so you go choose something else. (laughs) (laughs) And the arrogance that was there was so well-deserved. She absolutely was the best in the world at what she did. And fantastic. But the point was there very clearly. You're here to become the best in the world at something. Well, good. That's exactly what I've gone and done. Mm. Now, I could say I'm better at shoulder work with weight training athletes now than perhaps she would be because my best in the world deals with people who sometimes lift extraordinary amounts of weight and I have to deal with those. A bit different to your um, perhaps your tennis players and maybe your swimmers. We can still work with those. But then, of course, it became what was the thing that we knew the least about when we graduated? A friend of mine and myself, we turned around looked at each other and said, what do we know about least? What did the university serve us with the least? And we both said, lower backs. Mm. We know nothing. And I can tell you, universities still are graduating professionals who know nothing about lower back care. It's close to zero. I actually lecture usually as a guest at one of the um, doctor of physiotherapy classes. Mm. At the end of their, their seven years, six years, no, it could be eight years some of them have been there. And I can ask a very simple anatomy question and it, the room goes silent because no one can answer a simple question on human anatomy in regard to the spine. So universities do not teach professionals how to treat lower back pain, lower back problems. That's my job now as the educator. I run the courses to teach everyone the same question I got when I left university, which was, I don't know anything about lower back problems, so I better start now. Mm. And trying to be the best in the world means that's what I'm at. And you are indeed. And I, I've sent you everyone from, you know, a frail little 90-year-old lady <laughs> to a, a yeah. whopping big competitive bodybuilder and all of them come back just raving about how great their experience has been. And I think that just comes from knowing what you're talking about, right? It does. It's what we know. We stay in our lanes, don't we? Mm. We really do. Don't mm. ask me about diet. Mm. I can tell you how to get big and fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can fix that. <laughs> you can fix that, see? That's the thing. We do stay in our lanes so well mm. that we're, we're trying to be the best in the world at what we do, mm. not at what everyone else does. Yeah. That's and, yeah. The thing I think with back... Problems, and this is speaking from experience and not something that I'd, I'd really thought about before, is that, you know, if you hurt your elbow, if you hurt your shoulder, if you hurt your knee, yeah, it's, it's annoying um, yeah. and probably painful. But a back injury is like nothing else. It is so debilitating. It's frightening because it affects your whole body. I would set my alarm at 3 a.m., so that I could be out of bed by six. So it took me Mm. three hours to get out of bed, Um, at which point I usually ended up on my knees beside the bed with my elbows on the bed, sweating profusely from the pain, Mm. trying to lift myself up onto my feet. And I found myself, when it was getting better, I'd be walking down the street and it used to come in like a a rolling wave of a cramp up my back. Mm. And so obviously it didn't want me to move that way. I felt like I couldn't brace my core. I guess the inflammation and my nervous system wasn't working properly. And I would just sometimes have to stand and brace myself in the middle of the street Mm. waiting for this rolling cramp to squeeze the nerves in my back 
until I almost passed out. Like mm. it was, I was too frightened to go out in case it happened while I was out. I couldn't go out for dinner and sit for more than 10 minutes. Like it was so debilitating. Absolutely, yes. Mm. And those experiences, people do go through. You're not alone with that. Mm. And it is being able to strip things back and realise that some of the exercises people are given to solve that problem are a little bit too high level. Mm. Getting the idea right, the professional was in the right ballpark, but um, the biggest skill as a professional is knowing how to regress further for what the person needs. Simple movements that we started with. Yeah, and then we build on top of those and suddenly the back's got friends. And suddenly you do have good abdominals, you do have good glutes. It was very interesting. I um, did a podcast with a, a fairly a significant fellow over in out of New Jersey recently, and he was relating to me his personal story about how he had had some very significant lower back issues since a teenager, and how one of them, it was a disc bulge that the surgeon couldn't even understand what it was made of and what it was. Now, only because I spent so many years in the area, I said, I can tell you what that one was. And it was just the most unusual way that he had disc bulged. But the material was not your nucleus. It was actually the outer part of the disc. It was the tougher fibres. And that's what the surgeon ran into. And the surgeon couldn't understand. He was looking for a soft, a softer material. But if you know your science, and that's what's 30 years of being stuck in reading things and going, I spent three years um, cutting up human bodies in, in university. So I know what's in, under there. So I was able to say... Well, you've had 16 years of not knowing what this is. I'll tell you what it is. And suddenly it all made sense to him. Yeah. So it does take a love and a passion for what we do to mm. go, oh, I'm glad you told me that one and no one else told you. Oh, mm. I'll tell you. Mm. Yeah, and how exciting is it when you can identify those things oh, that so no exciting. one's been able to? It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, then he said no one else got it. And go, oh, that's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> um, who has been the biggest influence to you in your work or life and, and why? I think the biggest influences sometimes are the unknowns. There are some really big influences as far as, say, inspiration. Mm. Now, there was a vegan body, vegan powerlifter who was, um, she was in her 50s when she decided to take up powerlifting. Her name's Glenda Prosciutti. Um, she died not long ago, a couple of years ago. But here was this person. She's in her 50s. She's decided to take up powerlifting. She's a vegan, so darn vegan. She had a vegan weightlifting belt, right? <laughs> and I never saw a person build more muscle successfully than this person who I know was as natural as you could get. But what did she do? She did exactly what she was told. Whatever coach told her exactly what to do, she did her every set. She did every rep. Her form was as perfect as you could get because she worked on her technique now, I look at her and I go, you got everything against you. You're female, you're over 55, you're a vegan, and you're growing more muscle at a better rate than me because you actually work better. You, your ethic is better, your approach is better, and it's a hard thing to grow muscle, really hard. Try it. It's not easy. You, want to, you, you don't want to get big? Don't worry, you won't. Well, Glenda was able to put on some really good quality muscle, and that was an inspiration for me. I will always say, no matter what, I can always say, am I working as hard as Glenda did? Probably not. Mm. I better do another set. Yeah. And so I'd say inspiration comes from that. And yet the other inspirations come from the people who challenge me. Mm. Um, and I often think of them as there's people out there that are not that very kind on social media. There's a lot of trolls out there. But my work is to say how do I make myself better at being more bulletproof 
so that I've learned to be very contextual about every piece of advice. Then that's a big learning experience. And that's the one that's, if you want to be successful on social media and, and any area of life, when you give an answer to something, you need a really good context so that no one misinterprets it or twists it in with the most intent. Mm. So they're great. But, of course, there's so many professors and people who have helped me so much. Professor Stuart McGill in Canada, um, over 350 peer-reviewed papers, yet he gives me the time of day whenever I ask him a question. And I'm going to be over in Canada and um, Ohio in a couple of weeks, and so is Professor McGill. We're both speaking at a conference. It's great to catch up with those people. There's so many, so many people who give me inspiration that I've got to get up and I've got to work hard for them more than me. But there is the one moment, Donna, here we go to it. Now, this, this came out. Down in Miami, there with uh, Mike De La Parva, and we're out at a cigar bar. We're co- they're Colombians, of course. We're all out having fun, <laughs> right? Rum, cigars, and sitting there with Mike, and I, somehow the subject comes up with, "What changed you to become who you are?" And I said, "Well, actually, if I go back to about the, the age of six, there was a there was a movie called um, Man of La Mancha." And there was a song in it called The Impossible Dream. And he lit up and he goes, man, that happened to me. He said, you're the only other one who knows that song. <laughs> so we're sitting in this place and we're singing the singing. song The Impossible Dream together <laughs> in the cigar bar in Miami. And it was the thing that told us that no matter, you have to follow your dream, no matter if everyone spits on you, no matter what it is, that you'll only lie peaceful and calm if you follow your dream. And that's been me. Hmm. Yeah, this is, this is my dream. This, Fantastic. We don't we don't work ever, do we? No. We live. No. We live in our dream. Yep. Absolutely. So what are your goals that you're pursuing right now? Right now, looking to help educate all the professionals who didn't get educated at universities. Mm. Now that can also include personal trainers. Of course, personal trainers probably have a better idea about exercise than any physiotherapist I've met. Mm-hmm. There are physiotherapists who have taken up exercise training. Very good, but within the graduation courses you do not know a thing about how to squat, deadlift, or pick up a weight. Mm. So I would look at the personal trainers and say, you guys are on the front line as far as people with lower back pain coming in because 80% of humans have lower back pain at some point in their life. Now, these people are going to be coming in to see personal trainers. Well, personal trainers should have a little bit more confidence. They actually know a bit about weight training. Now, their ability to know about lower back problems is about as good as the professionals who are getting graduated. Pretty much everyone knows nothing. Yeah. My job is to create a community then of education that they will go through. So it's like a 12-month course. So I run the Lumber Spine Leadership Academy, and that's it. It's a 12-month course. They take the book. They get the lectures. They get the exercise library, and every month we do Zooms. We do question and answers, and I will give them 30 years of work in a year. What an amazing opportunity. Yeah, well, the idea is to create a community. It's community learning. You don't learn on your, on your own. You need other people. Yeah. So we create a community. That's my mission for this year. Coming up. What a great one. I love it. Where can people go to learn more about you and what you do? Instagram, of course, is always good. Andrew underscore lock underscore strength. But I do a lot of work with an osteopath, Danny Antonellis and Julie, my wife. Mm. And that's United Health Education. Mm. So that's a a place where I'm much more available. And the three of us, once again, are running courses there and memberships. And that's where I'm much more easily available. So through United Health Education. 
So that's strength and training. So if somebody has an injury or is interested in learning more about strength training, is that something that would really help them? It really is. It's, it's made especially for trainers who are and professionals mm. who are wanting to have a toolkit that they can help others with, mm. especially themselves realistically. And on those things, that's where we do our Zoom calls and we chat about the things that have worked well for us. And also we do a bit of case studies as well. But, yeah, that's the best place to get me. Anyone can message me on Instagram, but the usual thing is when I don't answer, remind me again. And when I don't answer, remind me again. I always do. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> keep, keep, keep messing. There's, there's nothing wrong if I don't answer. Persistence pays off. It always does. <laughs> Annoy me. I'm never annoyed. <laughs> what is your final thought um, that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Mm. Well, after listening to this, you ask yourself, what is it that you really want to do? And you better start doing it now because it's not here for, it's not for tomorrow. So if not now, when? Okay, start today after this podcast on the thing that's important to you. What are the health issues you need to address? Is it your eating? Is it your training? Is it your sedentary lifestyle? Is it a mental thing? Well, it starts now. So as soon as you're off here, address whatever you should be addressing. Don't put it off and then go for a walk, okay? Love it, love it, love it. Great advice. Thank you so much oh. for sharing your amazing wisdom with us today, Andrew. I, I really appreciate it and I'm sure all of our listeners will as well. <laughs> Sue, awesome. Catch up, Donna. It's amazing, isn't it? We've had a parallel journeys in so many ways. For such a long time. Yeah, yep. and it's still we're really in the midst of it. Absolutely. It's got so much growth to go. So much more to go. I enjoyed seeing the Aston RX and I've seen the great results that people have had so far too. It's like people, the clients I've had who have had it and, you know, they're just so happy that suddenly the change happened when they came and saw you. Yeah. No, it's great to see. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Pleasure. 